Welcome to Songcraft, Spotlight on Songwriters, a bi-weekly podcast featuring in-depth conversations with and about the creators of lyrics and music that stand the test of time. I'm Scott B. Bomar. And I'm Paul Duncan. Songcraft is part of the American Songwriter Podcast Network, which can be found at americansongwriter.com. To make sure you don't miss an episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our show via Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to help support Songcraft while accessing bonus content and rewards, please visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash songcraftshow. You can also keep up with us on Facebook and Twitter by searching for one word, Songcraft Show, or visit us at songcraftshow.com where you can check out our episode archive and sign up for our email list. You're listening to Anything For You, a number one Billboard adult R&B single from The Wild Card, the most recent album by our guest on this episode of Songcraft, Lettucey. The singer, songwriter, actress, and 12-time Grammy nominee will join us in a few moments to talk about her wide-ranging influences from jazz to funk to classic R&B to neo-soul that shaped her into a songwriter and artist with more than a dozen singles on Billboard's adult R&B chart. Part 1. Well, Paul, we uh, last episode talked about um, Mac Davis and Al Kasha, um, Songcraft guests who had recently passed away. And, um, you know, we sometimes record these episodes uh, a week or so before they actually go out. And I think right after we had just finished paying tribute uh, to those guys, I got the shocking alert on my phone that Eddie Van Halen had died. Yeah. Yeah. Which, well, I mean, that, uh, that's, that's crazy. And, and Eddie Van Halen, certainly the first thing you think of when you hear his name is amazing guitar player. Yeah. Um, but also very much a songwriter and composer. He was the, the guy behind a lot of those Van Halen classics and yeah. obviously the creative force, you know, in that band through, uh, through, well, should we say two or three lead singers? I mean, let's, you know, by the well, third I one, mean, there there, was, technically there were three, there were three, there were three. Um, but you know, definitely two huge eras with, uh, David Lee Roth and Sammy Hagar. Yeah. And, um, boy, I mean, you can't deny the influence that Eddie Van Halen had on rock music. No. And, and I think, you know, when, when you look at the, the span of Van Halen in particular, I, you know, you, you got people that are Dave fans and people that are Sammy fans, but I think the fact that both worked is an incredible testament to the kind of songs that, you know, that Eddie was writing and creating and the sound that he kind of pioneered. I mean, it they didn't miss a beat, you know, when 5150 came out with Sammy. I mean, it was actually, I think, maybe even their biggest album at the time. Um, and I think that's really, you know, not only attributed to those great singers, but to Eddie, who was the constant the whole time. Um, and, you know, we all know of his virtuosity on the guitar, but, you know, a lot of those songs were built on synth parts, and, right. and he was he was quite a composer, you know, with with these, you know, amazing, you know, synth beds that the songs were built on. I mean, Jump, yeah. um, Love Comes Walking In, songs like that, that were, um, you know, the guitar almost seemed like a bit of an afterthought. Um, yeah. It, it yeah. wasn't just, you know, crazy acrobatics. You know, these were these were big, big radio songs. Yeah. He was a guy who could shred, but he obviously had a composer's ear as yeah. well. He knew when not to shred. He knew when to hold back. He knew how to put a song together. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, that was it was crazy. Um, if I mean, honestly, if you were to look at maybe the, the peak of sort of name recognition for Eddie Van Halen, it would be somewhere there between, you know, his appearance on Beat It 
and you know the 1984 album right so you're looking at a span there between 82 and and 85 or whatever and i hate to tell you man that was probably your prime as well like i personally peaked i think you may have peaked what what were you nine yeah i was like I had some pretty cool croquis that I wore with, on my sunglasses, um, and I had a, a pretty nice collection of sleeveless T-shirts. So in terms of style, I definitely peaked around yeah. that point. You, you know what's crazy? I'm, as we're talking about this, I'm, I'm actually, I got curious, and I looked up the 5150 album because I just mentioned it. That album hit number one on the Billboard 200 chart. The previous album was the 1984 album we just referred to, which peaked at number two. Do you know what was at number one? Which year? Uh, well, the year would have been, I guess the year would have been 84. I'm not looking at it right now. Um, well, I would guess, well, I would guess Thriller, but the way that you said that, it seems like it's going to be something more surprising. So I'll say Madonna. It was Thriller. Oh, okay. And, and, I should have gone with my gut. Yeah. Well, so you're, you're talking about two albums the guy had a hand in. Right. You know, right. At number one and number two. And, uh, yeah, yeah a, a small hand, you know, yeah. just to solo on beat it. But it was it was pretty prominent as a kid in you know second or third grade or whatever. I was very aware oh, yeah. of who played the solo on beat it. Yeah, you air guitared the crap out of that. I'm totally. sure. Um, you know, another guy not as well known uh, as as Eddie Van Halen, who just also recently passed away, is Johnny Bush. And Johnny Bush was a country music legend, Texas guy, um, but probably best known. Uh, for writing Whiskey River. And yeah. anybody who's a Willie Nelson fan knows that Willie Nelson opened every single concert, still opens every single concert that he does with Whiskey River, and he's done it for uh, I don't even know how many decades now. Um, so when you are as fabulous a songwriter as Willie Nelson is, but there's someone else's song that you decide, I'm going to open every single show with that song you know that's saying something so i was very sorry to hear about um eddie van halen and uh and johnny bush as well you know what i love about this show and the fact that we get to talk about these people is on the surface what do eddie van halen and johnny bush and Lettucey have in common you know <laughs> we're talking about three very different genres of music here you know um right. but all people who are artists and who are craftspeople and in their chosen field and their chosen profession have excelled. And I love that the art and the craft of songwriting transcends genres and transcends categories to where, you know, you can appreciate a good song if it's a, an R&B song, a yeah. country song, a heavy metal song. Like a good song is a good song. Yeah, that's true. It transcends race, gender, age, era, all that kind of stuff. And I, I have a feeling that if, if we pulled all the songcraft guests together in a room and we had a big songcraft party, which is actually a fabulous idea. Well, maybe we, after the global pandemic, but sure. Yeah, totally. Or, you know, however you want to do it, you know, <laughs> whenever we can get them here, right, right. it would change the way we present the hors d'oeuvres, I'm sure. But, um, yeah, if we could have some sort of, of party with all the songcraft guests, I think they'd have a ton in common. Um, you know, regardless of, of genre, it'd be fun to, like I, I'd love to look over and and see Smokey Robinson talking to uh, you know uh, Robert Earl Keane. Yeah, right. You know, right. and and just wondering they probably have a lot in common. Are, yep. are there any songcraft uh, conversational combos that you'd like to see at that party? Um, you know, uh, Irving Burgey, who is no longer with us. Uh, he, you know, the, the the man who wrote Deo. He was. Um, well into his 90s, I think, yeah. uh, at the time that we interviewed him. I would love to see him talking with, 
you know, somebody who is in their twenties, you know, somebody that's, that's starting out and, yeah. and, and kind of getting their career off the ground or even like uh, a Shane McAnally or a Brandy Clark or kind of somebody who's of a younger generation that even though they already have huge track records, you know, that there's a lot in, in front of them. It'd be interesting to hear what a guy who's kind of been at it for, you know, 60 or 70 years uh, yeah. would have to say to somebody that's, you know, probably got another good potentially 40, 50 years uh, to go in their career. Yeah, I, I think some interesting things would happen by the Songcraft Punch Bowl. <laughs> that's going to be kind of my new my new image of, yes. of what cross-generational, cross-genre discussion can look like. It's the Songcraft Punch Bowl. Yeah, well, I, I saw you come in with that flask in your jacket, so I'm going to ask you to stay away from the Punch Bowl, <laughs> Mr. Duncan, because we don't need to, to start any kind of problems. I'm not coming unless it's going to be a real party. <laughs> the Songcraft Rager, where we get nuts and <laughs> talk about how songs are put together. <laughs> Sounds like fun. I'm there. All right. I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you. As soon as COVID's over, we're doing it. Part two. Lettucey is a singer, songwriter, and actress with a dozen Grammy nominations in categories including Best New Artist, Best R&B Album, Best R&B Performance, and Best R&B Song. After several years on her own independent label, she signed with Verve Forecast Records for her album Lost and Found, which hit the top 10 on Billboard's R&B Albums chart. She went on to release a string of albums for the label, all of which hit the top 5 on the U.S. charts. In addition, she landed more than a dozen hits on Billboard's R&B singles charts, including All Right, Going Through Changes, Pieces of Me, Stay Together, I Blame You, Hi, All the Way, and others. In addition to her 12 Grammy nominations, Lettucey has won two Soul Train Music Awards, been nominated for Best Female Artist three times at the NAACP Awards, and is an NAACP Spirit Award honoree. She performed at the White House seven times at the request of Barack and Michelle Obama and has maintained consistently high critical acclaim from her first album to her most recent release, The Wild Card, on her own Listen Back Entertainment label in partnership with BMG. Lettucey, welcome to Songcraft. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited about this. Yeah, it's great to speak with you. You recently released your ninth studio album, The Wild Card, uh, and I fell in love with it as soon as I heard the first track, Anything For You, which has such a cool, Aww. organic vibe, um, great sounding record. Um, and I understand that the Aww. production of this record leaned a little bit more on getting live musicians in the studio all together at the same time than maybe you know some of your other albums did. Uh, talk a little bit about how you brought your new songs to life for the Wild Card album that you know might have been a little different in the studio than how you approached the process in the past. Well, I it, actually in the past, Scott, I did um, go with the live musician uh, route on the first time with Rex Rideout, who I've worked with since 2007. Right. It was our first time with Lost and Found. And on Turn Me Loose, my album Turn Me Loose, I actually did it as well. So I wanted to revisit this time and really go back to what's traditional to me um, of recording soul music where, you know, the drums may not be all the way on tempo or sometimes <laughs> they are. You know, but those are those are what made those records so they feel good. You yeah. know, Shaka Khan and Rufus and um, Earth, Wind and & Fire and 
Tower of Power, you get all those classic sounds from live musicianship, you yeah. know, and I miss that, and I wanted to bring it back in my songwriting for the wild card. And the approach, not on every song, but a lot of it has musicianship. You can hear it. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes it so um, organic and fun and and classic. I wanted you to have the, that nostalgic feeling yeah. on this project. Really songwriting driven. The impossible is possible because of you. You know, I read in an interview with you recently where you talked about the decline in bridges in R&B music over the years. <laughs> yeah, that's, you know, I hadn't thought about that. Bridges but... are so much fun, especially in the older music and soul music. And I miss, miss that energy where you can uh, feel free to go somewhere else and come back around into the song. So Rex and I purposefully had bridges on every song yeah. and as much as we possibly could. Because bridges are—they're there for a reason to take us in and bring us back, take us out and bring us back in. Yeah. And I, I just missed it in soul music. Uh, everything is just a groove and a vibe. And I wanted songs, and I wanted bridges, and I wanted what Quincy did, and what Rod Temperton did, and I wanted what 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 ob- obscured bridges are too. Like, <laughs> why did you go there? <laughs> Right, right, There's right. some bridges and you're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and right. I think a bridge is an important break in the song. Yeah. You know, yeah. it gives you a break. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let's go back to the beginning. I can't think of a U.S. city that has a more distinct musical vibe than New Orleans, which is where I understand you were born and spent your early years with a mother who was a singer and a stepfather who was a drummer. In what ways was that musical environment shaping you in your childhood years? Well, growing up in New Orleans um, and then, you know, pretty much raised in Oakland, California, I got the best of both worlds, to be completely honest. But New Orleans, it's like, it's the first thing you learn after you eat food is to, <laughs> is to hear music somewhere. It's everywhere. It's part of our air. Yeah. Um, hearing that, that domino when you're a kid and listening to um, Alan Toussaint and all the, the greats, you know, you just, you're influenced right away to jazz and um, soul and the blues and folk. It's just part of your whole makeup of who you are. You walk down the street, it's like in Brazil. They play on the street. That's how New Orleans is. Yeah. Everybody's on the street playing the music. So it's just a part of uh, who I am. And so listening to my mother, she listen to like all country music hmm. Patsy Klein, Willie Nelson, Johnny Cash she loved Leontine Price uh, then my stepfather and she could sing any soul record like uh, Aretha Franklin and anything gospel but her main thing was all Aretha Shaka yeah. and uh, Dinah Washington was her thing too so I just gravitated towards whatever she was listening to Sure. She was my Michael Jackson, and then my stepfather played drums, so naturally I want to play drums. That was my first instrument, was the drums. I would sleep to the drums when I was a baby. They said I would just fall asleep when he played the drums. So huh. it was 
that's my thing too. And then when I got older, I heard Earth, Wind, and Fire, and I heard, you know, all this country music and African music. I was in it. You had Norman yeah. Connors and all the, the, the big sound, the Earth, Wind, and Fire. I, I studied them, and I was like, gosh, this is like jazz, but yeah. funkier. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Right, <laughs> like for sure. Everything, I just, and then when I we moved to the Bay Area, that's when I got all the gospel and really studied classical and really went back to jazz as I got older. Yeah. And um, that was the the combination of it all just made me this this jambalaya of all this music, <laughs> you know? So to speak. And that's why <laughs> I call it the wild card, because people like to place me in a box of their favorite version of Lettucey, you know? Right. But I can sing whatever I'm given because I love music that much, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. I just love it. I love it. I love it all from African, tabla, you know, yeah. you hear me singing something in French. I mean, I just love it. I yeah. love music. It's a part of me. Right. Well, I've read that your biological grandfather was Johnny Ace, who had a huge posthumous hit with Pledging My Love in the mid-50s. And you obviously never met him, but does knowing that you share DNA with a legendary musician have any impact in terms of just kind of the way you think about your musical destiny growing up as a kid? All the time. I mean, your line and your ancestry is, a huge part of who you are. Like my dad, I just found my dad not too long ago, maybe I, I could say it's over six years when my dad died, maybe four years ago now. Right. <clears throat> and uh, he told me about Johnny Ace. I didn't know that. Hmm. And, but just having my mom and dad enough to know them and then to find out more, it was just, wow. Okay. Yeah. So I know I come from this huge line of singing and, uh, it didn't add pressure because I love love what I do and I yeah. know that I'm great. But what it did add to the fact that I belong. Yeah. I've never felt like I people uh, when they mention singers, I never felt they sh- they would mention me. Yeah. And uh, and and it felt like when are they going to mention me hmm. all the time? Because I know I belong here too. And yeah. uh, then. W- it just helps me feel like I belong, whether they say it or not, knowing mm-hmm. where I come from. Yeah, if that yeah. makes any sense at all. <laughs> no, absolutely does. Absolutely does. Yeah. Um, you mentioned, you know, moving to the to the Bay Area when you were still um, growing up and starting to study, you know, opera and, and piano and, and classical music, kind of giving you that foundation. So now you're bringing together you know, kind of the the fundamentals and the, and the classical music with the popular music that you, you've grown up with and really beginning to, you know, form who you are and who you're going to be as a, as a songwriter and as a performer. And, and one of your songs that first began to get some attention around the Bay Area um, was Take Time, which you eventually recorded on your debut indie album called Soul Singer. And you're 
a writer on every track on that album, most often with your collaborator, Sundra Manning, from that time. Um, talk a bit about how your songwriting developed in those very earliest years of your music career. I miss those days because the songs, I, was, I didn't have business included. Um, and it was freer and it was poetic and it was whenever I felt away. And that's why I love the wild card so much. I've come back to that energy. Yeah. And so Take Time was a, actually it was a commercial that no one wanted. It was a song for a commercial. Huh. And uh, we shopped it around to a few airlines and nobody wanted it. And so it became a huge fan song, uh, cult following. <laughs> that song I... gave me my audience, basically. Yeah. And it did really well in the Bay Area, and it and it and I just got so many fans from uh, Soul Singer all over the world. Not just I thought it was just in my little area, but it, right. it went everywhere, and right. uh, it opened the door. But the songwriting for me, it it just I've always been honest and authentic mm-hmm. and real with my writing, uh, but back then it was quicker and freer. It wasn't yeah. as intense in like it is now. Now I, it takes me a while. Yeah, I. It depends on all the other stuff that's going on for me. But back then it was just I had time to just write all day. Yeah. It was all I did. I didn't have to be an author or be a a wife or be all these other things around it. I could right. just wake up. What am I right now? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> right, I was right, right. Journaling more then, and I was uh, really deep. Everything was deep for me. Right. Now it's just light. I'm like, I want to go outside now. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. It's much lighter, but back then I was so so dark and searching and chasing yeah. and longing and wanting things. Right. And so the songwriting had more depth and... And then I wanted all these intricate harmonies on everything and stuff that didn't make sense on anything. <laughs> just just <laughs> doing it, you know? But yeah. the audience loved all that. They loved that freedom and the rawness of it. And right. I sang like it was the end of the world. Like, this might be my last song. <laughs> right. So I better give it all on this one song. But yeah. really, I, sh- I could just pace myself now, you know, and it, take my time. It's it's interesting. I hear you using words like raw and, and honesty. You know, another song on that debut album is "Papa Love to Love Me," which is an unflinching song about incest and domestic violence. And and a lot of, you know, a lot of your music is breezy and and it feels good. But you're not afraid to tackle tough issues either. And I, another example of that would be "Shot Down" from your 2017 album "Let Love Rule," which deals with racially motivated shootings and is sadly just as relevant today as it was three years ago when that record came out. Um, but Mm -hmm. in what ways is songwriting an outlet for you to kind of speak to some of the more difficult realities of life? Sometimes it's unconsciously, Hmm. uh, it's just what feels like I need to say right now. And that's the spiritual unexplained part. You're asking me to explain a part that I don't know where it comes from. Like even in the song one on the latest album i was trying to write a love song and it wasn't coming out that way huh. i even said on the bridge this could have been another love song hmm. but this is the message that came to me you know what i mean right, <laughs> like, right. 
good thing you had a bridge. I didn't, I don't, I know, right? <laughs> I couldn't plan, like a lot of those songs, when they're in deep like that, I don't think of them. Yeah. They unconsciously happen and they come out of my mouth and I just sing them. This could Or there'll be poetry. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. either poetry that I've written that from long, long time ago, or it'll be right in that moment as I'm recording. And Rex is always shocked. He's like, where did that come from? I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. You know, he's like, but this is like one, one I wrote at home in front of my computer as I'm like, I'm talking to you. Right. It's like, that's how I wrote it. And I didn't write anything down. Some a lot of those songs are things I'm thinking about way in the back of my subconscious or something, right. and then it just comes out into a song. Yeah, because I'm not thinking about that every day, or because I am light and breezy, yeah. like now. Yeah, but it's like when I really want to go deep, I let it happen naturally. Hmm. Yeah. or it's not real. Right. You won't get it, you know, because I don't talk to a lot of songwriters about those kind of things because right. I usually write those things by myself. Right. So when you get it, I'm I'm just as amazed as you. <laughs> <laughs> right, like, right. Shot Down blew me away. I just kept going on that song. Like, yeah. I meant that song. Right. And, and it was in the studio and the lights were low and everybody was like, whoa, you wrote this? It was like... <laughs> Yeah, I was mad. I'm mad, and I didn't know I was mad. Right. But when you get to the song and perform it, oh, it's a whole other thing. Right. Then you get it. Okay, this is a part of me. Yep. After another indie album, the jazz-oriented Feeling Orange But Sometimes Blue, you signed with Verve Forecast Records for your first major label album, Lost and Found, in 2007. The lead single, All Right, says, Life can bring us through many changes. It's all right. Just don't give up. It's going to be all right. People come and they go. It's just the way it goes. Everything is everything. It's all right. What's the background of what was going on in your life that you were kind of addressing in that song? Well, it wasn't a Zen moment when I wrote it. <laughs> <laughs> you were trying to convince yourself, huh? <laughs> I was telling myself that, man. It, my, but really, it was a conversation with my mother, and I was I was uh, sleeping on the floor, and I was done with the industry. I was just tired of trying to prove that I belong. And um, my mom said, "You know, you're going to be all right. You know, you're going through some things, but you're going to be all right." And just Hearing her keep saying, all right, it's going to be all right, just click. And immediately in Jersey City, I had this uh, microphone, my computer, and this box that I would sing 
this place my mic into the sing into and I recorded it in my bedroom right uh quietly with pillows around it so none of the you know space can get on the mic right and I began recording the song and sent it to Rex and he loved it and mm. he was like whoa this is going to be good mm-hmm. and then we recorded it, I just I was bawling my eyes out I was like this is really going to be a song yeah. like I'm really coming back to this because I quit a long time ago. <laughs> I, was <done. laughs> right. I was ready to quit this industry. Like, this is it. But that one song has truly saved my career and kept me afloat. <laughs> yeah. And it was my first Grammy-nominated song ever. First mm-hmm. Grammy-nominated album. I mean, I was blown away. I had three Grammy nominations after that song. So I love the, I love, I love the honesty in it. And and the, and you can hear the growth from that song to saying I can't even buy that dress on sale. And then now I wrote a song uh, last year called Add to Me. I made a lot of money last year. I plan to make more this year. Right, right. How times have changed. You right, know what I mean? Right. It documents your life progression. Yeah, totally. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um. Completely different. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I didn't even write that lyric. A friend wrote it. <laughs> uh, but it's it's so funny. It's the complete opposite of all right. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah. That's great. Um, well, the Lost and Found album hit the top ten on Billboard's R and B album chart. As you say, earned a Grammy nomination for Best R&B Album, earned you a Grammy nomination for Best New Artist, and got a review from All Music that said, it's an instant classic. This is the new standard of R&B and soul. Um, wow, so, I didn't know that. See, yeah, I didn't read yeah. reviews back then. Yeah, that's I mean, that's a, that's a great one. Um, you know, yeah. talk, talk a bit about that experience of going from, I quit, I'm done with this business, to you're putting out this album suddenly you've got these widespread accolades for your original music you know after having been at it for several years at that point wow i did i i felt like i was cinderella in this dream and i was hmm. waiting for someone to turn it off any moment this is gonna stop but it kept going and it got bigger and bigger and then to be sitting next, you know, right by Taylor Swift and Neo and Amy Winehouse is on the screen. She's about to win the award. And, you know, this is crazy. I'm best new artist this year. That blew me away. Like, and I've been doing this forever and I was about to quit. And now I'm here sitting in this silver dress, just teasing away. Like, is this real? You know, (laughs) and everyone knew who I was. That just, I, I didn't care about winning. I right. felt like I won sitting there, being yeah. in the room, huh. and not watching it on TV, because that's where I usually saw the Grammys, you know? <laughs> right, And right. so it just blew me away, Scott, honestly. And I still can't describe the feeling of it. I'll, I think I'll never be able to, the shock yeah. of, of, of meeting all the people I love, you know, and 
meeting Bruce Springsteen. I was like, oh, my God. You know? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I was bugging out, Scott. I was loving it. I was like, oh, my God. That's amazing. I, I want to tell him all the things I love about his songwriting because it's like poetry, you know what I right. mean? Yeah. But anyway, yeah. I'm sorry I'm off the subject, but anyway, <laughs> I just was blown away. Yeah, <laughs> I, oh, I love that. I love that. I was a groupie, so still am. <laughs> still <fun>. am. <laughs> Well, your second album for Verve Forecast was a Christmas record that featured some of the holiday standards, as well as originals, including Be There for Christmas, This Christmas Could Be the One, and It's Christmas. So many artists just do the same covers, you know, when it comes to holiday records, that it's, it's really refreshing to see someone bring some fresh songs uh, to the table. Is it challenging to sit down and try to consciously write Christmas material, you know, especially when it's got to sit on an album right next to holiday classics like Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas and Silent Night? I had, the Christmas album was the best recording I've ever had, ever, hmm. next to the wild card. Turn Me Loose was fun too, but that was my first, like, that was the best time. You had Kebmo come in and... um all the all the um, the sisters. Good Lord, I'm not drawing a blank. Kemmo came in, and all the 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 singers that sang with Anita Baker. I keep forgetting their names. Forgive me, forgive me. <laughs> the Perry sisters. Okay. They came in, and then you had the live band, and just all at one time. And we only had a week to get everything done. I was on tour at the same time. It was it was like a drive-through of just fun songwriting. Yeah. Really yeah. quickly. And I think everybody should have that experience at least once in their career. And hmm. it was fun on a time frame. Yeah. You only had this amount of time and you had to make it work. And it was a blast. I had a blast recording. I had a blast writing. I love, I didn't think about who I'm up against. I had not a clue. Yeah, I just knew. I wish Verve promoted it even more, but I, I, it's a classic. It's a legacy classic yeah. project. Is my Christmas album, and it is beautiful. And how I approached it, what I was thinking about, is how my Christmas is from beginning all the way to the end, and that's how the album moves. It could yeah. actually be a play if I wrote it out. Yeah, to how my Christmas is for a whole day. You get up, you go to church, <laughs> you get home, it's fun, you get to open up the gifts. Right. Then people are getting drunk. <laughs> this is great. <laughs> right, right. And then there's all this lovey-dovey stuff, and then you're dancing and you're getting ready for the new year. That's hmm. how it feels, the whole project. And that's the feeling I wanted, how my Christmas looks into the new year. Well... I think some listeners were maybe a little surprised when your next album, Turn Me Loose, revealed a lot more funk elements than what some fans knew you for, for your from your first Verve Forecast album. Mm -hmm. um, and we hear a little more of that groove on the first single, Going Through Changes, which reached the top 15 on Billboard's adult R&B singles chart and, and helped propel Turn Me Loose to number one on the R&B album chart. Don't touch me there Temptation 
wants to rule me. I can do what my body's calling. Here you go. You earned another Best R&B Album Grammy for that album and a Best Female R&B Vocal Performance uh, for Going Through Changes, which is one of the many songs you've collaborated on with longtime songwriting partner and producer Rex Rideout, who you, you mentioned a while ago. Um, tell us a bit about that song specifically, but also more generally what it is about your collaborations with Rex that works so well and that have kept you guys working together all these years. Well, I had Rex and I were in the studio figuring out what song I wanted to, I always, because I've worked with Prince in, in on stage and in the studio here and there, um, he's a great mentor. Um, I wanted, I really wanted him to play on the song, but of course I was signed to a label, so that wasn't going to happen. Hmm. Um, but when I heard um, Going Through Changes, I really wanted, when Rex and I were writing, I said I wanted something that has the same energy as Adore You, that Prince had wrote. Right. And because I like, I love the way that's, that's one of my favorite Prince songs. And mm -hmm. the energy on that, I wanted something like that. And every time I lean to his, him, him, his presence uh, inspiring me, it always turns out to be one of the best songs I think I've written. Hmm. Uh, but writing with him, I had a friend, I had some friends getting a divorce, and I had another friend cheating. On their, their, you know, it was just crazy. I was like, "What is going on with all my friends acting <laughs> up out here?" Right. And so it inspired um, me to write a song about uh, about couples falling apart because everybody thinks a lot of my songs are about me, and they're not. Hmm. Some of them are. They have little pieces of me in there, but this one was about other people. Yeah. Uh, going through something, and so I love the idea of. There's even with people loving people they're not supposed to be loving. There's mm -hmm. love in that. Huh. It's the weirdest thing. Right. It's not. It's either love or lust, but it's something in there that says attraction. Hmm. And most people are afraid to talk about those things, and that's what I look at with when I when I write with Rex. I'm always looking for the thing that nobody wants to talk about. <laughs> right, right. Go for the taboo. <laughs> Go for it, you yeah. know, and and people love that song. They were like, how did she know? And I make fun of it on stage. I say, are you some of y'all in this situation? Mm-hmm, it's dysfunctional. Here's the song for you, you know what I mean? Right, right, that's great. <laughs> so I love, and what I love about Rex, Rex is he's always, he knows when to step in and when to not be in the way. He, he is fun to write with. He's... Um, make sure I'm writing about my strength. Mm -hmm. And if I write about what what weakens me, he reminds me of how I got through it. Huh. That there's always a light, even in the darkest parts of things. And, uh, and he reminds me I don't have to write the whole song. I can write it, let somebody else write it, you know? <laughs> right. And yeah. uh, that's been fun, having a partner like that. That just gets me. He just mm -hmm. gets me. And I told him when we had our uh, the wild card release party online, I said, you're like a blanket for me. You're my line. Like Linus has his blanket. You're right. my blanket. Like I got to have somebody who will just comfort me in this uncomfortable environment of being vulnerable like this. Yeah. Because as a writer, you have to give, even if it 
it's a song you haven't written. You have to give the experience sonically. Right, right. And yeah. on paper, what are those lyrics? I tell people all the time, what are you saying to me? Mm -hmm. I need to sing it. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. What, yeah. what does that mean? Mm -hmm. And sometimes we go too deep where we don't know what it means in R&B soul <laughs> music. And to me, classic is being clear. Yeah, yeah. Well, even though Rex has been a mainstay in your career, you've collaborated with a number of different producers. The, that Turn Me Loose album, it also featured collaborators like Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis on Higher Than This and Raphael Sadiq on Love Never Changes and Please Stay. Um, in what ways does working with different collaborators spark different aspects of your songwriting personality? Well, it showed off all my other genres that's inside me. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's what Turn Me Loose stated right away. Before you get comfortable, excuse me, I'm not that one way. Yeah. I'm not just lost and found. I want to remind y'all you're dealing with someone that can do a whole bunch of things. Sure. And I think that was the year I, I had met Prince, so that opened the door to that feeling, too, even more, to be mm -hmm. brave yeah. and leap. And so working with all the producers enhanced that. Um, and people were expecting another full straight R&B album. Yeah. But I gave you rock and blues and soul and and um, church. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. The full everything. Yeah. The full thing on fire too. I didn't mince with any words. I gave you hip hop. Right. It was all in there, and Rex was scared to death. <laughs> <laughs> Yet it all fits together somehow. <laughs> and it all fit, and I got a whole new audience because of it. Yeah. It's crazy. I got a whole younger audience because of it. They love it, and I'm doing some of my fun singing, live singing on it, yeah. which yeah. was different for me. But I love working with Raphael. I love that the connection with Oakland there, and I love, I've always loved his quartet style. Um, yeah. Jimmy Jam, Terry Lewis, and all, you know, all of that connects to the whole funk vibe mm -hmm. that's Minneapolis, you know what I mean? Right, it's all right. this in Oakland together, so it has the same energy, and they, they was, those were the hardest recordings ever. I worked hard on those. Yeah. The, those guys worked me hard, like, right. with songwriting and singing, and yeah. writing with Terry Lewis, the legend. Oh, <laughs> right. No Terry pressure. Lewis is just an incredible songwriter. Yeah. And he pushed me, pushed me, pushed me. He was like, you're going to, not only on the microphone, but as a writer. What does that mean? Yeah. You know, you want to be higher. What is higher? Hmm. Is it just to be higher spiritually or is it to be higher? What is higher than this? Right. So wherever this is, it can, I want it to be general for the audience, but for me, it means to be higher than where I am. And spiritually, I want to grow, too, at the same time. Yeah. So yeah. he said, let's put in the song. And he did. Listen, they don't play when they're songwriting. <laughs> they don't play. Like, right. Terry will sit there all day to get the right thing. Yeah. And um, and Raphael and Jimmy Jam, you know, when he comes in, it's a whole other thing. It goes to another level. Right. But I absolutely loved, they were they were the hardest on me was Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis uh, Raphael was fun and breezy, no <laughs> right. stress, right. no stress. Um, and and Jimmy Jam was and Terry Lewis was fun. 
it was just harder. You, right. They don't. They want your last breath. <laughs> <laughs> right. They're going to get every last right little bit. Right when I was tired was when it was good. <laughs> right. It was like, oh, now it's getting good. <laughs> You're like, wait, I thought we were done. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, they did not play with me. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, another couple of collaborators you worked with are Chuck Harmony and Claude Kelly, who joined you for Pieces Uh of Me. Um, That became your highest charting single to date when it reached number two on Billboard's adult R&B chart, propelled the album to a top 10 debut on the Billboard 200 album chart, earned you Grammy nominations for Best R&B Album, Best R&B Performance, and Best R&B Song. a song that declares both your complexity and confidence as a woman um what can you tell us about the background of writing that now classic song that song is the anthem for women like it it blows my mind that on my worst day that i did not want to be in the studio and i was having that woman kind of day where you're like what do you want want to be there I didn't feel like recording and Chuck was just being nice I mean Chuck was just quiet and Claude was like hey Lynn (laughs) 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 what do you want Claude it was like what do you want well it's gonna be great we're gonna get a good song out of this (laughs) I'm like I have a million things to do and keep me calm and make it work. And so we sat down and uh, started to write about how I'm feeling right now. And I was like, well, I have to be all these things and I have to be strong when I'm not today. I'm not strong, you Mm -hmm. know, and I, I don't know how to be strong today. And I got to figure it out still because I got to finish my work. And because I never not finish my work, I'll complain about it. But I love finishing my work. And yeah. I'm like, and now I have all these million things I'm thinking about. Well, I got to come in here and write with you. And <laughs> so we just started talking about what it's like to be a woman and a businesswoman and then be sensual and beautiful and be a boss, you know? And it was so much fun getting all that emotion out yeah. and writing with Claude. And he's just a comfort to write with. And, Chuck had already had the the idea, and I thought it was weird. I didn't really get the music portion of it, but I got the lyrics and the melody. Yeah. And then when I heard it, when it was done, I was like, "Whoa! <laughs> okay, now I get it." Right. <laughs> right. And it happened. That song has been sung by Aretha Franklin. She sang it to me wow. when I first met her, which was when <laughs> wow. that song came out, and it's been sung by Patti LaBelle when she came to my show. She sang wow. it. 
to the audience. I pastored a mic. So it's a song <laughs> that most of the legends that I know, they've sung it. <laughs> you know, yeah. They love it. Oh, that's it's incredible. It's such a huge, huge tune. And um, the, my mom loves it. It's just powerful. And I'm, I'm honored that I took all that pain and sat with Claude and Chuck and we wrote a wonderful song that's like I can't get away from that song. I have to sing it every show. Right. And it, it's in the set or the women lose their mind. And I do a whole <laughs> woman empowerment thing with it. Right, right. That's and the cool. audience loves it. I miss that, too. Yeah, yeah. The second single from the Pieces of Me album was Stay Together. That's another top five single you wrote with Rex Rideout that featured Jaheem. Was that song originally written as a duet? I wrote it for him. Hmm. We wrote it for him. Rex yeah. and I said, I want Jaheim to sing this, and this will be his part. And I sang his part like him. <laughs> huh. And he heard it and loved it. And then somewhere at 3 in the morning, I'm not there, Rex calls and says, guess who's in the studio? <laughs> I'm like, who? <laughs> Jaheim is recording right. his part to the song. Because I sang every line like as if he was there yeah and he did it and even more more on it yeah and it just yeah. blew my mind because when i love another singer or a vocal uh, a vocal master i i give them the idea of them on it yeah and yeah. and pray that they'll do it the best way i know how it'll right. never be them but i do my best yeah and yeah. even when i write for other people i i try to sound like them so they can get an idea mm-hmm yeah. This is you. Yeah. I think the world needs to hear uh, your version of you sounding like Jaheem. <laughs> <laughs> they have when you when you when we had shows. Right. My audience, I would pretend. I say, "Well, Jaheem's not here, so I'm gonna do my best, and I'll start singing it <laughs> like him." And the audience goes crazy. That's amazing. <laughs> <We love> <laughs> That's so cool. Um. I want to talk about your song, I Blame You, a top five single from your seventh studio album, The Truth. And, you know, just looking at that title, it sounds like it's going to be a breakup song or, or something negative, but it's really a, a celebration of new love with lyrics like, I can hardly breathe because you're all I need. So when they ask me why I'm smiling like a fool, I blame you. And it's a, it's a twist, you know, on what you think the song is going to say based on the title. And, mm -hmm. you know, titles can be such an important part of the songwriting process when you write do you typically start with a title first or do you begin with a, a musical idea and work your way to the main hook how does it typically kind of come to you usually the title is last hmm. um because i either want it poetic or i don't want it um poetic at all i want it clear yeah uh it just depends but i let the song write itself when i'm writing i know some most of the time it starts with a, a drum beat for me. Right. How I move to the song, it has to. I don't know. That's the drummer part of me. Right. Um. It has to feel good. Um. And then it's the melody that usually arrives first before the words. Mm -hmm. The words are always last. Huh. Uh, except for all right, all right came. The words came first. Yeah. Wow. Uh, but majority of the time, the melody I had, like on the wild card, I had melodies all day. I yeah. had no words. 
I had background parts and everything. <laughs> right. <laughs> You're like, I've got fully developed tracks. <laughs> Hello. So, so, <laughs> so you kind of allow the the vibe and the feel and the groove to kind of, you figure out what the mood is, and then it sort of becomes clear what the song wants to say in a way. Yeah, because I think with soul music, and if you're, really into soul and R&B, you pay attention to how people will feel, whether they're in the car or whether they're dancing by themselves, roller skating or cleaning or whatever. That song needs to feel a way. Right. Uh, That's why they say the phrase feel good music. Hmm. That's what soul music is. Right. And R&B. So any music to me is still good music. It could be whatever genre. But yeah. when you're focusing on soul music, that's what people listen to it for. Yeah. Is yeah. to feel good. Right. Well, your eighth studio album, Let Love Rule, from 2017, it covered a lot of ground stylistically. Not only did that album hit the top five on the R&B chart and earn a Grammy nomination for Best R&B Album, but you earned two additional Grammy nominations in different categories for two fairly different songs from that album. All the way was nominated for Best Traditional R&B Performance, and it's more of a classic soul ballad with, you know, strings and jazz elements. High was nominated for Best R&B Performance and incorporates contemporary pop and hip-hop elements. It's all woven into the production. My heart been broke down in the dirt and I finally see Red hands feel focused and I'm done being broken. Talk about love, real love. You're the only thing that give me up. I'm high. I'm so far up that I could fly. Watch me fly. I'm curious where production fits into your writing process. I mean, do you tend to write songs and then bring them into the studio and figure out a stylistic direction? Or do you actually write there in the studio, you know, building the tracks and the vibe at the same time while you're creating the song? Um, When you work with multiple producers, sometimes they already have the song, the track there. Uh, And Rex, too, he's sometimes already had a idea of what the track is there already. And yeah. I've done done it that way, or I've said what I wanted, like this. I've used references and said, this is what I want. Let's find that. Sure. So it all depends on my mood. It depends on how I, the kind of album I want to paint, or it depends on just something might just hit me, and I'm like, I like that. Hmm. It, it, I want to. I want that that he has in his computer or whatever. It doesn't like high for me was already a track. Um, all the way was Rex and I at the piano and vocal. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, we spent a whole day at the piano writing a song. Hmm. Yeah. So it's completely different. Like I can go wherever. Right. It's not a not and, a formula. Uh, yeah, I don't have a formula. I think my main thing is how do I feel when I hear this music? Mm-hmm. And yeah. how risque can I go? How far <laughs> can I go? Right, right. Like to to make people feel inspired or 
thought-provoking right. <laughs> you know, right. or whatever. Right, right. Ignite a thought. <laughs> yeah. yeah, for sure. Um, well, coming back to your most recent album, um, you released it on your own Listen Back Entertainment label after nearly a decade and a half with the Verve Forecast label. How was it different for you to approach the process of writing and recording a new album in a situation where you you're the boss now you have full control um was was that a different experience uh in terms of how you approached the process i didn't have a time frame it was definitely different for be coming from having a time frame to finish something yeah um i kind of did but i didn't uh i spent my whole three years just coming in, recording something, and then leaving, hmm. and not feeling the pressure of having to do something right away. That felt good. Yeah. Um, like a painter, you come to something, your canvas, you paint a little bit, and then you leave it. That's what I kept doing on the wild card. Little by little, I would add. I already knew what the album cover was, so I had a photo shoot for that right away, before I even sang a note. Huh. I already knew the name of the album, I was already clear about imagery and usually that never happens for me. Yeah. I was clear about sonically what I wanted it to sound like. Usually again, that never happens for me. Huh. This project I already knew. It's like I dreamt it and it said, hi, I'm here. <laughs> and there was a, a big space of where it needed to be. Yeah. In, 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 in our um, wonderful world of entertainment. I said, I want to bring that here right. to the table. And uh, it's, a, it's been a spiritual energy that's followed me this whole process. I can't believe all the things that is, that's happened for it. And, but writing it, I knew this is, this is what I'm, I'm going to do. I'm just freer now. I, yeah. I need to show my freedom. Yeah. I'm not connected to anything. It's just me. And right. I don't have to explain who I am anymore. The wild card says it all. <laughs> Uh-oh, what is this? <laughs> <laughs> There's no rules. <laughs> There's no rules. Yeah, yeah. You get it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, the most recent single from the wild card is Wake Up. And that song is really like a snapshot of the various influences that have woven themselves into your career. I mean, I hear neo-soul some jazz elements, you know, classic R&B and hip-hop influences all, all working together. You gotta get up, but don't look back. It's time to wake up. Stand up, wake up. After nine studio albums and more than two decades as a professional songwriter and performer, how would you describe yourself as a composer and singer? Mm. Gosh, I would say... I will say soul music because... I am a soul singer because mm -hmm. I sing whatever feels good. Huh. I'm not in any particular genre, but I can be. 
Yep. If you want me there, (laughs) (laughs) I can fit right in. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but I am working on a legacy where there's something for everyone. Hmm. And that's all I can narrow it down to because I feel claustrophobic if you put me in this box. (laughs) Right, 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 right. (laughs) But I sing soul music. Yeah. But I will add a little jazz to it. So right. what what does that mean? You tell me. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like I'd call you a wild card. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I said, well, here's my afro, but you might get a little jazz on there, too. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, yeah. Um, well, the new album is, is great. Uh, sounds fantastic. The wild card is um, just a very cool record and you know we we talked to a lot of different songwriters and, and artists on this show and uh you know i'm gonna say this is one of the the coolest records i've encountered uh in a while while preparing for for one of these interviews oh, wow. so i, I recommend everybody that. go and, and get this thing well, thank you both for having me this has been an honor and i'm just so happy you like the album it, it's doing its job so yeah. Thank you for that. And, and I love your show. Keep going. Oh, thank you That's so much. Shows, too. You did a lot of shows. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll keep at it. I'm in here. I made it. Into Song Crash. How dope. <laughs> Catch you later. All right. Take care. All right. Thanks for listening. We'd love to stay connected with you, so please take a moment to subscribe to Songcraft via Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or your podcast app of choice. If you like the show, we ask you to consider rating us and leaving us a good review. Word of mouth is important, and letting our potential listeners know what you think of the show helps us tremendously. You can also sign up for our email list at songcraftshow.com and support us at patreon.com slash songcraftshow. And if you'd like, please follow us on Facebook and Twitter by searching for Songcraft Show, all one word. And finally, be sure to check out our friends at the American Songwriter Podcast Network at americansongwriter.com. Thanks, as always, for listening and for your support.